Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Matt and Todd Go to the Movies. The podcast where Matt and Todd watch a movie from a top 100 Netflix list, and then we watch it on Netflix, and then we Google Hangout each other, and talk about it, and talk about our lives, and catch up with each other, and most of the time you don't get to hear that. But maybe sometimes it'll squeak in. I am Todd Domer. And I'm Matt Malloy. Yes, welcome to another exciting episode of The Theaters Are Shut Down, so we're watching Netflix movies and reviewing. Yeah. Yeah. Matt and Todd, stay at home. Yeah, Matt and Todd, sit and watch a movie at home. Yes. So, got a a classic, an almost 30-year-old movie. Uh, for you tonight, and it's called 1991 Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood. Yeah. And I was happy with your musical introduction, Todd. I was singing that song to myself as I was watching the movie. Yeah, I, I uh, wanted to do the next line, but I honestly couldn't remember it. So, uh, you got stuck with the first line. It's like something, 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 or we'll pull your car, or something like that. And I just can't, I couldn't, I should have listened to the song and figured it out. But that's how much, that shows you how much work I put into what we do here. Wow. I appreciate uh, even the one line of the song. Sweet. So, so, so what do we got? We got Boys in the Hood. A few famous people in it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie. Except he was still going by Larry Fishburne at that time. Mm. Crazy. Must have been, yeah. Takes me right back to the uh, Cowboy Curtis days from Pee Wee Playhouse with yeah, Larry Fishburne. So. Uh, mm. But he has he has changed his name. Rightfully, um, rightfully so. Yeah. Ice Cube is in this in his first acting performance, although he was already a famous rap star in this movie, I believe. Yes, uh, yes. I believe this movie was done after his NWA days. Like he was already he already quit NWA and was solo when this movie so he was already incredibly well known. Yes, you're correct. In fact, the director of the movie wanted the other members of NWA to be uh, Ice Cube uh, friends and posse in this movie. Oh, but be- nice. I because didn't he'd already left NWA on bad terms with them. Yes, they were not friends anymore. <laughs> they got other people to do it. But um, so, yeah. He's in it, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays kind of the main role, uh, and Angela Bassett is in it as Cuba Gooding Jr.'s mom. Lawrence yes. Fishburne plays his dad, even though they're they're like only seven years apart in actual age. Yes. <laughs> um. So and. The, I think that's everyone that I recognized out of this. 
Um, Who'd I miss, Todd? Who'd I miss? Well, Morris Chestnut has definitely been in some stuff. He's the guy who played Ricky. Okay. Um, he's definitely done some movies later. Uh, pretty well known, but I'm not really sure anything else besides that. There, there's a girl in here who plays Brandy, who I'm trying to find what her actual name is, and I'm not. It's Nia Long. Okay, she. So she. What I recognize her from is that she was Will Smith's fiance in The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. She's also done many other movies. Actually, she went on to do Friday with Ice Cube after this okay. movie. Gotcha. And and then uh, Regina King is in it, and she's uh, pretty well known now. Let me just. Uh, I think she was. She did. She was the woman in Watchmen. Yeah, the uh, the the show. But she's also been in some other stuff like Miss Congeniality 2 and Ray and A Cinderella Story. And that seems to be the best known stuff that I can see so far. All right. So. Well, so, so there you have it. There's your stars from Boys in the Hood. What is this movie about? Well, it's really about uh, it's about one it's about a uh, a group of kids who grew up and they they live in I guess South Central LA in the 1980s. There's a there's a the first part of the movie takes place the very first part takes place where they're just kids, uh, so like around nine or ten years old, I think. 1984, I believe, right. is when the first part of the movie starts. And then you flash forward to, like, 1990. Seven what? years later. Oh, seven. Yes. So we're late 80s, or early 90s. No, early 90s. Right. So the movie actually takes place when the movie comes out. Yes. Okay. Or the end part of it. Correct. Um, so yeah, so you've got basically uh, the main character whose name is Trey. Yes, Trey. Uh, so you've got Trey, you've got Doughboy, who's Ice Cube, you got Ricky, uh, and you've got little little Chris. Little Chris. Little Chris. Yeah. Um, so so they kind of know each other and they have some interactions as little kids. And then flash forward seven years where they are kind of uh, end of high school type age. Um, and Ricky is a football guy. He's getting recruited maybe by, by big colleges. And um, Doughboy is, uh, is like a degenerate. <laughs> 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 He's like a, like a, a gangster guy. Yes. He has he has his friend that hangs out on the street. Yes. Well, when you first uh, see him as an adult in the film, he's just getting out of jail. That's right. That's how you're introduced to his older self. Right. And little Chris uh, at some point took a bullet and became paralyzed. So big, big little Chris is in a wheelchair. Um, and then Trey is... is he was good. Yes. Um, 
Although it's we're never you... we're never told that little Chris took a bullet. I mean, you can assume, but I don't know. Maybe he got cancer in the spine or something, and something else happened. You're never told, but that's true. You could probably assume it was a bullet. Fair enough. Something happened. He's in a wheelchair. Yes. Um. So, uh, how does this all kind of unfold? Well, basically, um, Trey, in his younger days, gets in a fight, and his mom gets scared. And so she sends him to live with his dad. Yes. Which is very much like the plot of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> yes. And here's a little nugget for you, Dan Domer. <laughs> uh, Will Smith was... was uh, considered for the role of Trey. But he declined to do it because he was busy filming his show, The Fresh Prince of Prince. Yeah. So there you have it. So anyway, uh, uh, Trey's parents are split up, but uh, his mom sends him to live with his dad, who's played by uh, Larry Fishburne, Mm -hmm. and his name in the movie is... Furious Styles, which is a great name. That's a really great name. Yeah. Um, he's like a boring But anyway, uh, so his, so you get a little bit of, of of Furious Styles giving him like the 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 man talks and the, yes. I want you to be responsible and respectful and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's that that leads well, I don't know if it always leads for people in the in the general world, but in this movie, um, Trey grows up and and he's he's probably in a better position from a um, how he thinks about himself and how he thinks about the world than some of these other guys are. Well, he's the only character in this movie who has a father around. Like even that is true. Even Brandy doesn't have her father around. It's just her mother. That's true. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, so, so you flash forward seven years and uh, Trey's still living with his dad. Uh, some stuff goes down after that. It's basically like they're trying to get ready for, for college and like they're taking SATs, some of them, and then um, the, the gang life comes into focus and bad stuff happens. Yes. So that's my summary. Good summary. Thanks. Uh, what did you think of this movie, Todd? I, I gather from your statements that you do. Yes. And I'll, I'll honestly, well, first of all, I want to throw a shout out to John Singleton, who wrote and directed the movie, who passed away a couple years ago, I think. Or maybe it was more recent than that, but he definitely passed away. 2019. Okay, yeah. So, he he wrote and directed the movie. And, um, so I wanted to mention that. But, also, I think this is, even almost 30 years later, this is a really good movie. Like, and it's, it's like there's you know people who are in it who are like you know 
Kuba and Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett and the girl who plays Brandy, like all those are actors and you see them in other stuff and you really, you know, like that was good. I am still blown away by Ice Cube's performance in this movie. Like for a person who really didn't do much acting really at all before this movie, I think the only thing he'd really done is been in NWA videos and that's it. He is really good in this movie, I think. Like, and it was a tough role. Um, I think it's just a tough role. Like, he's got some very serious scenes. He's a very major character. I mean, he's in a lot of the movie and stuff like that. And I thought he did. Even look at him, you know, 30 years later, probably not. I definitely didn't see it 30 years ago. But um, it's probably been, like, 20 years, maybe 18 years since I've seen it. Like, and... He's still, his role is phenomenal. I mean, everyone, I think, really does a good job in this movie. But um, I, it just really blew me away about how, how good he was, I thought, in this movie. So there's an interesting thing that happens in this movie that I never really caught before until I watched it this time, which is kind of why I like rewatching movies I've already seen, even if I know it really well, is that sometimes you just come across a nugget and... I don't know if John Singleton meant to do this. To me, I think he did, but I can't ask him. So the first part of the movie when they're kids is such a strong parallel to the movie Stand By Me, which was, you know, about the white kids growing up and stuff like that, you know, Mm. earlier in time and stuff like that. But almost everything that happens in Stand By Me happens in the first 15 minutes of this movie or whatever with these kids. They go see a dead body. They fight between each other. They have to make up. Like, there's just, like, they go on. There's even train tracks. They walk on train tracks to get to the dead body. Like, it's, it was such an interesting thing to watch of when the movie, for the movie Stand By Me, it takes the entire movie for them to get to see this, to see this dead body. And how it affects them after the movie is like a huge part of the movie. That is the movie. The whole time is like them bonding through that experience. In comparison, for these kids who grew up in this tough neighborhood, them going to see a dead body happens in 10 minutes. They go see the dead body and then there's no, there's almost no ramifications for it. There's no like deep thought about it because it's such a reality in their life. And I like, you know, I don't know if that's what John Singleton was going for, but that's what just screamed at me while I was watching this movie is that kind of comparison. And it was a very enjoyable experience to to think about that and wrestle with that. This movie, honestly, is probably the movie that introduced me to this culture, like the South Central, not even just South Central, like gang related inner city stuff that I, I, yeah, as a white kid growing up in Suburbia, I had no idea about, like just absolutely no idea. And this is probably one of, if not the movie that introduced me to that. And it's, it's still pretty much rings true to today. Thinking about being close to Baltimore and DC, specifically Baltimore. Um, and the violence that happens there and the, the shootings and stuff like that is such a real reality still that happens today that it's, you know, it kind of, I mean, it makes you sad if you really, really think about it, but it just, to me, speaks on how important this movie is. Like, you can 
be a person who watches this movie and go, oh, they curse too much, or oh, I can't relate to that, or blah, 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 blah. But I think it's a really important movie, like a very important movie. Kind of almost in comparison to when we watch Queen and Slim. Like, it's a, an important movie that shows situations that maybe, one, you're uncomfortable with, two, you can't relate to, um, or three, just you're so ignorant to it, you need to experience it somehow. Like, because you just haven't. And uh, I think the direction of this movie, the script, everything goes well to show you the, the the realism of this situation. That this is not some fantasy movie. That this is these are real situations that real people um, go through. And specifically, the two main characters in this movie, two main characters, which is Ricky and Trey... Two, two kids who are not gang affiliated and are not into gangs or violence or anything like that, how they're affected by where they live and the, and the circumstances of their life. And it's, I think it's just a really good, deep movie. Like, and I think if you haven't seen it, you know, finish listening to this and go watch it. Like, I think you owe it to yourself. So I'll kind of leave off there. I could go on and on about this movie, but I think it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. If you haven't seen it in a while, go watch it. Like it's just a real good movie that introduces you to something you should know about if you don't. So I will end there. Matt, yeah, what'd you think? Well, before I get into what I think, I got two little nuggets for you about John Singleton here. Nice. So John Singleton did do an interview where he talked about the influence of Stand by Me on nice. his writing of this movie, especially the opening theme. Um, and then there's something that happens at the very end that I won't really spoil for you, but um, it's just like a Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. also happened. They, they, they honestly, they end pretty... The movies, with like not content-wise, but style-wise, they end very similar. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that I found pretty interesting is that he based the early life of uh, of Trey on himself. Okay. He was raised, his parents were a mortgage broker and a pharmaceutical company sales executive. He was raised in separate households by his unmarried parents. So that is pretty close to exactly what the situation is for Trey in this movie. So, yes. I thought that was interesting. Um, so, yeah. So, what did I think? Uh, I I, uh, I did like this movie. It was... It is one of those things where it takes you kind of out of your, your, your comfort zone and your understanding zone and tells you a little bit about, uh, you know, experiences that you haven't had. I think you put that well thought. Yeah. Um, and and really captures the. I mean, if it was if it was a a white writer and director, which is not John Singleton. Sure, black, sure. Um, I would have said it's almost a racist movie. Yeah. Um, but but knowing that he's black and knowing that he wrote it, um makes me feel a little bit better about 
kind of the aspects of just the constant like helicopter circling, sil sirens always going in and out as as just everyday life is going on. Um, those things are kind of the backdrop of of the entire movie. Um, yeah as it's trying to express kind of what it's like in this area. So I, I, I think overall I liked it. It certainly made me feel uncomfortable at part, but not in a bad way. In a like, let me think about why this is. Um, and Furious Styles, Lawrence Fishburne has some great little monologues about life that are, are, are good to, to hear and I enjoyed kind of yeah. the, the growing up talks and the, the talks about, you know, being black in America, really, um, or, or at least being black in a city and kind of what that looks like. So, yeah, the whole the whole scene where he's talking to Trey and Ricky in front of the billboard about buying cash for homes right. uh, is uh, is is an incredible scene, one. Two, it's still incredibly relevant today. Like, it's, uh, I, I, I guess, like I'm just continuously blown away about how this is almost 30 years old and it's still so relevant. Like, just unbelievably relevant. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in 1991, I, I certainly couldn't have told you what gentrification was. Right. But, but here's here's good old Larry Fishburne. Explaining it uh, to to two two kids that, by looking at a billboard in Compton, um, and today we still have that phenomenon going on in cities across the United States. Really, absolutely. So interesting stuff. So anyway, uh, yeah, I liked it, and I think you should watch. It. So, mm. well. Matt, how many? Sorry, bless you. Little Unless cough in there. Little COVID cough in there. Yeah, a little bit. All right. How many <laughs> baby pacifiers would you give this movie? Ah, uh, yeah. It is like one of the only things that, for some reason, this movie makes me chuckle every time I see it, especially the scene where little Chris is, is sucking on the baby pacifier and he offers it to Trey. <laughs> just just like not even asking him, just like moves it over to his mouth and then Trey just moves his hand back. Yeah. So, yeah. How many from zero to five baby zero pacifiers? Zero to five baby pacifiers. Yes, there's one, one character who has a baby pacifier in his mouth yeah. for his adult his adult time. Oh, it's not little Chris. I can't remember the character's name. I thought I, I spoke wrong. My bad. <coughs> Public. Somebody it's else. It's not. It's not little Chris. It's someone else that they introduce in the beginning of the movie, real quick, and then he's there throughout the movie. But it's like you don't hear names a whole lot besides the main characters beyond that point. Right. Well, is it monster? I guess it could be, well, could maybe be. there's two other guys in the crew that you don't like, they introduce in the beginning of the movie real fast. And then right. maybe you hear a name like once or twice from there, but it happens so fast that it's like, unless you're paying attention, you miss it. Right. 
Oh, well. The nameless guy who has a pacifier. Yeah, pacifier guy. So, on a scale of 0 to 5, I'm going to give this movie a 3.5. It's pretty good. Um, Felt kind of... I mean, there's a lot that, that, that still rings true today. But in some ways, it felt a little bit dated as it could for a movie that's almost... 30 years old sure um but i i thought that took away a little bit from it so but just a little bit still still a pretty good rating at three point what say you i think honestly i would be right where you're at if i hadn't experienced the stand by me comparison and then to find out that i was kind of right about that like just I don't know. It was a great feeling. I'm proud of myself that I caught that. I guess I don't know, and it helped me really enjoy the movie more. So I'm I'm gonna go up to I'm gonna go to four. That's okay. where I'm at. I was in in your general area, but then when you told me that you know that is something that John Singleton kind of did and stuff like that, I'm I'm gonna pat myself on the back that I was there for that and I caught that, but also it definitely helped me enjoy the movie more. So nice. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Matt and Todd Go to the Movies, where we reviewed 1991 Boys in the Hood, and we gave it an average rating of 3.75 baby pacifiers out of 5, which is a good rating. Yes. So, thank you for listening to our podcast. Check out this movie. We liked it, and we think you should see it. And, uh, yeah, keep on listening. We'll keep making more of them. Heck yeah. Da-da-da-da. Da-da. Da-da-da. Da-da-da.